Let's get ready for the Word of God today. Thank you, worship team. We're so honored that you spent time to prepare for us, and we understand that a lot of your energy goes to helping us find a place to meet the Lord and open our hearts for the Word of God. Welcome, King of Kings family. Glad you're home uh, with us. You're in a safe place, like Pastor Wayne said. And just uh, if your phone starts buzzing, just sit down. Stay right there. This is the house of the Lord, the place you want to be anyway. Welcome everybody watching online today as well, King of Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, other platforms around the world. Welcome to Jerusalem. We're happy you're here. We have some great countries watching tonight. We're going to start with Brazil tonight, and then Canada and Chile, Finland, France, Guatemala, India, Indonesia, Ireland, other parts of Israel, of course, Kenya, Malaysia, the Netherlands, the Philippines, Poland, Serbia, Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, Switzerland, Taiwan, United Kingdom, United States. I'm sure there's others, but those are the ones who told us they were watching tonight. Welcome to King of Kings. We're so happy uh, you're here with us tonight. I also was reminded today of how many uh, Arab viewers we have around the world. And I was really happy to hear that. And, and as we were reading the scriptures, you know, we've done a great job, King of Kings. I just want to commend us all. We've, we've rallied together. We've built unity. Um, and there's another uh, piece of unity I want to talk about in a minute. But we also want to be unified with uh, not only the body of Messiah and the nation of Israel and, and really be locked into what God is doing as intercessors, but we want to be united with our Arab brothers and sisters uh, around the world as well. And I, I thought we would just uh, take a minute, and in a second, I'm going to show you a video of some of the fruit that you and us, that we've been doing uh, together. But in this video, you're going to notice that there's, there's not uh, many uh, or much representation of help that we've given to the Arab community. But I want you to understand something. We have, in fact, helped the Arab community. It's just that they cannot be on screen. You understand there's a lot of security concerns, so their photos and videos can't be broadcast, although we are helping as much as we know to help and as, as much as we are allowed to help at this time. But what I do want to say is when I read the scripture with uh, Melissa a few minutes ago, I was reading it, and it's just like the Lord came over me, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the meek and the hurting. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to appoint upon them that mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes and oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And what was in my spirit was, there's a lot of people mourning today. There's a lot of people brokenhearted today. And even though we've done a really good job of inspiring one another and, and blessing Israel I want us to also remember that there are Arab brothers and sisters around the world who are mourning right now. There's a lot of Arab brokenhearted people, and we want you to know, Arab viewers and friends today, King of Kings loves you. We stand with you. We don't stand with terrorism. We don't stand with evil, but we do stand with the Arab believers in Gaza 
and in the West Bank and in Lebanon and Syria and around the world. We stand with you. We want to help. We want to pray. We want to be a blessing and an encouragement because we know that when the Bible says that he calls us to comfort all who mourn, we understand that our brothers, our Arab brothers and sisters are also mourning at the same time this week. So thank you for that. And King of Kings, we're so proud of you, how you have given into the Israel War Relief Fund, but I want you to see some of the fruit that's happened from your labor. So if we could just roll that video for a minute before we jump into the, to the sermon, I think you'll appreciate this. Hallelujah. We just say thank you, King of Kings, for all the good work that you're involved in. And you heard Melissa give that update that if you want to be involved even more, hands-on stuff, we're going Tuesday. We're going to continue the, uh, the refurbishing of several of the bomb shelters that were damaged. The electricity has now been uh, put back in them, and we're ready to clean them out, and we need your help Get your hands dirty with us this Tuesday. And as another show of unity, I have an event I want to invite you to. Uh, I'm personally inviting you to this event Wednesday night. If you can at all fit this into your calendar, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., right upstairs in the Celebration Center, we have a Unity of the City Worship and Intercession Night. That's all the congregations we've invited, King of Kings congregations, not King of Kings, it doesn't matter, it's unity of the body. Come be with us from 7 to 9 p.m. Several different uh, worship teams will be leading and uh, different leaders from around the city are united. They're gonna be leading in prayer and intercession. Come join us, Celebration Center, Wednesday night, 7 to 9 p.m. What better thing could you do than to pray, right? God wants to stop this thing. Hallelujah. We want to continue tonight in a series we just began called Behind the Scene. And yes, it is a play on words because we're not talking about behind the scenes like what goes on behind a movie that they're making, but behind the scene, behind the things that you can see, what is going on. There's a world behind there, 
probably a bigger world than we see and a world much more important than the world we see with our eyes. As a recap to week one, we talked about God being the unseen God. The apostle John told us that no one has ever seen God. Yeshua himself told us that no one has ever seen God also. Paul told us that God cannot be seen. Matthew called God the unseen God twice. And then Yeshua went on to say that the person who believes God, although having never seen him, is a blessed person. We broke that down a little bit because we had to look at, wait, Yeshua is God and he was seen, so how does that work? So we looked at the difference between Yeshua being God in the flesh and the almighty form of God, which no one has ever seen. So if you want to catch up with that sermon, go back to the archives, pick it up from last week. Now tonight, we want to look at something called transactional elements. I know that's a big word, I'll break it down for you, but transactional elements elements. You see, faith in general works without seeing, right? Anybody want to say amen to that? Faith has to work without seeing something. Otherwise, it's not faith. Faith is placing our trust in what God has told us he's going to do, even if we have not seen it happen yet. When God said, I'm going to save you, you don't know how that works. You just know that it does. And so you have to put your faith in God's words, I give you that famous biblical definition of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. See, you have to be certain about it, even though your eyes can't see it. It's, it's not okay to, to, to be like maybe. Maybe doesn't exist in faith. Because if you're in a maybe moment, then you're not in faith. You're in maybe. Maybe. But if you have assurance and confidence and hope and trust, then you're in faith. This passage goes on to tell us that God created the unseen world and then made it become visible to us. What does that mean? It means you're not going to see everything. And that's okay. If we stay in the same chapter, Hebrews 11 verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Do you understand what that means? That means God made a decision. I'm going to create the world. And he didn't start gathering up other planets and stars that he had created earlier and, and make some matter and mash it together like Play-Doh and then design it with the stick and the Play-Doh. He didn't he didn't make it out of the things you can see. He made it out of the things you cannot see because there is a world that you cannot see. And if God can make the universe out of something you can't see, don't you think he can help you in your life in ways that you can't see? Hopefully that becomes personal to someone tonight. This means that God made the physical universe out of nothing or at least out of what is unable to be seen. Now, this confirms our key section from last week, and I'm going to read it for you again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, 
but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, by focusing on only what we can see, we are investing in the temporary world. But if we can have the courage to focus on what cannot be seen, then we are investing into the eternal world and the eternal will of God. So that's a challenge for all of us. I don't want to over-spiritualize that. That's very hard. How do you focus on things you can't see? Or maybe the question is, why not? Why can I not focus on things unseen or things that I can see? Well, as a quick recap, of course, we serve the unseen God in his, at least in his almighty form. We know that humans saw Yeshua, who is a form of God in humanity flesh, but this form of God can interact with humanity without humanity dying. We learned that God created the world out of things we cannot see. And we've also learned that the unseen world is the actual world because it's eternal. But why can we not trust what we can see? Why not? Why can we not just take it at face value and say, well, what I see is the truth? After all, that's what science tries to do all the time, right? Well, show it to me, and if I can see it, then I'll believe that that is part of science. But you know, there's a whole big universe going on that you can't see, and so science has these critical gaps that they can't quite get over because they're so reliant on what can be measured with the eye that they jump over all of the good stuff that God has prepared that the eye cannot behold. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, this is why you can't trust your eyes. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. What's the point? Well, the point is that even what we can see with our eyes, we don't actually see fully. So if you're trying to put your faith in, well, at least my eyes can see it, yeah, but your eyes still don't even see the full picture. It's impossible for us to hold all of the facts in every situation. And the meaning of this passage, I believe, is not only about physical things to see, but it's about spiritual things. That we don't see everything. Even if it's right in front of us, we don't see everything. My wife is right here looking gorgeous on the front row, so I'm going to tell a story about her. Is that okay? Can I get your permission? You don't know what story, do you? Oh. You know, Rebecca and I went through a very uh, fun, enjoyable, very traditional courtship together with accountability and counsel and preparation, and I loved it because that's what I wanted in my life, and, and, and her family uh, grew up teaching that, and so it was a great uh, a great connection. So we went through this courtship and I was spending lots of time with her father and her family and, and finally it was time to get the blessing of the father so that I could ask her to marry me and I did that. And, um, and so I had to come up with this, this way to present something to her. But my wife, if I can say this, I'm feeling good about it. I mean, I, I'm getting some good cute, flirty smiles, so I'm feeling good about it. Um, my wife does not do great with not knowing stuff. She's a researcher, 
through and through. She comes from a medical background. She likes facts. She likes research. She's going to kill that thing, you know, until she feels like she really has it. Then she has some confidence to move forward. But that kind of personality doesn't like surprises. And so it tries to guess all of the time what's coming. And so when you're trying to propose to someone who is constantly trying to guess and outguess you about when it will happen, you have to be pretty creative to figure this thing out. And I told her when we were together, I said, you're not going to figure this out. She was like, okay. Like, look, if I, if I even smell that you're trying to guess on the day I'm going to propose, I'm not going to propose. I'm going to put it back in my pocket and I'm going to propose a different time because I want it to be a surprise. So one time I had this whole thing set up. I promise you, this is a good story and it's going somewhere. Stay with me. Stay with me. It's going somewhere. It really dovetails right back into the scriptures. I, I, I arranged myself and Rebecca to meet my parents at a restaurant to do a dinner. Oh, we haven't Spent time with them. Can we arrange this dinner? Sure, we can arrange the dinner. Okay, okay. Call my parents. Okay, here's the deal. We're going to show up together. I'm going to give you the ring. So I don't have the ring. She hugs me. I don't want her to start guessing. What's that in your pocket? So my parents had the ring. I trust them with it. And then, uh, and then I was on the phone with Rebecca at work that day before we went to the restaurant. And she was like, don't forget about the dinner with your parents. Well, of course I knew about the dinner with my parents, but I had to play this off and I was like, oh no, man. I was supposed to go to the gym tonight. I can't believe this. Man, I don't want to go to dinner. I want to go to the gym. Well, she doesn't know what's about to happen, so I just needed to throw her off my scent. She's like, no, no, honey, we scheduled this two weeks ago. I'm like, whatever, fine, just tell my parents. It's, I'll go, it's fine. All right, so now I got, she's not thinking it now because I forgot even though I didn't really forget. And before you judge me, <laughs> I felt it. It's like from the 10th row back there. I felt it, you guys. That whole, uh, is it lying, Pastor Chad? I mean, it felt a little lyish there. <laughs> so it worked out really well. Remember the story's going somewhere. And I get to the restaurant and my parents come and we have this meal. And then I give my parents this signal. I'm like, hey, I, that's the signal. That means get up and go. So they were like, uh, I gave them the signal, and they're like, there's some art out here we want to see, and they just make this weird excuse, and they get up to leave. So it's me and Rebecca, but my mom has left the ring right there next, next to me in a bag, so I grab it, and I get on my knee, and I say to Rebecca, what did I say to you? I said, I know you've been hoping that I would propose, but sometimes you might have thought tonight was romantic, and maybe you thought I was going to propose tonight, and I don't want to disappoint you, so I bought you some tickets to a show. I got to throw her off my scent. And she's like, oh, this is great. Great show. Love the show. We're going to see the show. It's great. But while she's oogling the, the tickets, I've already opened the ring. I'm on my knee. Boom. Ring is open. This is a great show. I've always wanted to go to this show. I can't wait to go. I know what I'm going to wear. It's going to be great. She looks at me and says, I love you. It's great. And she's looking right in my eyes. I've got a ring right in front of her. She's like, thank you. That's so thoughtful. It's so great. I was like, <laughs> I had to raise the ring into her eyeline. She was, we were so locked in. It's like, do you, I mean, the show is great, but do you want to marry me? I mean, like, 
Maybe it doesn't compare now. I thought it was going to be higher, but I feel like I'm competing with myself now. I mean, come on. Just because you can see it with your eyes doesn't mean you see everything. It was right there, and still, there had to be some emphasis put on it. And that's why we, as believers, we can't just put all of our focus on the eyes and what we see. We, in the Shema, remember, we cover our eyes to, to really emphasize what God is saying in our spirit. One of the things that, that we need to differentiate in that passage was between the word see and the word know. For we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Just to use another example, if, you, if you've ever been called into court and you're on the jury and there's a car accident, they bring a lot of witnesses to talk about this car accident. Okay, what did you see? Well, I saw a blue van hit the white car. Are you sure you saw that? That's what I think I saw. Yeah, I think I saw that. And then they'll ask the other person, what did you see? Oh, I, I saw the white car hit the blue van. You see, we all agree that something happened, but we're not always really clear about the edges of the details, and it works that way in faith. We have to get the gist of what God is saying, embrace the fact that we will not know everything about it, and still step forward in faith in the hope that God's words will come true. And if you don't catch that concept, then you can't catch the salvation of Yeshua. You're not going to catch that. Let me give you one of our key phrases tonight. Even when we see things, we don't see them very clearly or in their fullness, which is why we don't rely on our eyes. We look behind the scene. Just to make it applicable for today, I had some conversations this week, some hard conversations with some um, Israeli soldiers. And the question was about how did, how did this start? What happened? Where was the breach? What, what's going on? And they were talking about a security breach at such a high level. Then why did it catch us off guard? We had the intelligence and some people really embraced the idea that there was a forewarning. And it, there's so many stories that are wrapped up in this. But why did it take the army so long to respond? You know, th these ideas that to these soldiers were like, this should never happen in Israel. And we were talking about how each person could only see a piece of, of the puzzle and that we can't hope in the little part we saw, we, we hope in the collective of the whole. And faith is very much like that as well. And you might say, yeah, but... Why did God allow all of these things to happen? There's a lot of hurting people in several different countries right now. Why does God allow that to happen? Why is it taking God so long to rescue or free or save or protect? Why is it taking so long? It's a fair question, valid question. But the answer probably lies in the unseen world somewhere. That God's will is making progress forward and it's not that he wants people to be hurt or harmed. But we do know that sin has to be allowed to 
run its course. Because we don't end up in the moment of salvation of the earth without sin running its course. And before we start pointing fingers and placing blame, we always try to remind ourselves that God didn't cause this. God didn't cause sin. God didn't cause pain and suffering. We did. We chose it. And now we're bearing the fruit of it. And if there's a moment where we can collectively be in intercession instead of maybe pointing fingers at that government, that government, that group, that group, that army, that army, we'll point those fingers all day long. I mean, how far back in history do we want to go? But at some point, there's, a, there's that identificational repentance that says, I did this. We, we, humanity, did this in our disobedience. And we say that so that we can find a place of unity about what is important that we should be unifying on. The kingdom of God is real. The salvation of Yeshua is real. His power is real. God loves his children. He doesn't want any to perish. The gospel needs to be preached. Disciples need to be made. New congregations need to be planted. The, the sick need to be healed with the laying on of hands. Let's focus on those things because we can all agree on those things and not get bogged down in the weeds of that news and that news and that strategy and that one. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying there's a moment where we have to get, behind, get above the scene, get behind the scene. And what is God calling us to do as intercessors for the earth? You know, I quoted a little earlier the definition of faith. And in that definition, I hope you heard the word hope, right? It says, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. Hope and faith are both applied to things we cannot see yet, but our confidence is in the Lord's word, that whatever he says will certainly happen, and our salvation works on these principles of both faith and hope. Romans 8, 24 says this, for in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, then we wait for it patiently. David also captured this idea in one of his songs, Psalm 25, verse 5. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. My hope isn't in my army. My hope isn't in Iron Dome. My hope is not in political relationships. My hope is not in peace talks. My hope is in you. You alone will save this battle between brothers that has lasted for thousands of years. Salvation is something we believe in. We have faith that Yeshua paid a price for us that we could not pay. We have hope in eternal life and a redeemed body, although we do not see these things yet in present day. So I'm going to break this down a little bit further before we close. When Yeshua died for our sins and rose again, we put our faith in something we could not actually see. I don't only mean that the people of his day, I'm talking about us. But even if you say the people of Yeshua's day, you understand that even though they saw him in the flesh, they saw him die, they saw him alive again, they did not see the transactional element when it actually happened. Nobody was in the tomb with him. Nobody went down to the depths of Hades and got the keys of hell and death back. Nobody saw how that worked. 
there's a moment of faith that even the disciples on the ground had to exercise because you cannot see the transactional elements of faith. That's why it's faith. Sometimes we want to break it apart so much, and I hear a lot of prayers that way too, and I'm not necessarily criticizing the prayers, but I've heard some prayers go into some pretty specific areas. Sometimes I'll hear healing prayers, and I'm not against them. I'm just, I pray a little bit more general, but there's specific prayers sometimes that are applicable. They're appropriate. Father, I pray for that person that the cells in their body would do such and such and that they would reform in such and such. That's, that's a lot of specific prayers. I hope that's what needs to happen, lest we be praying for something wrong. But we don't always see the transactional moments. Our second key phrase of the night, faith in Yeshua requires faith in transactional elements that we may never see or fully understand. For instance, did you see how his blood was applied to your heart, soul, and spirit? Did you see how his blood cleansed you from sin? Did you see it? No, there was no one that was there watching how it worked. Did it work like a water hose that washed you off? Was it a vacuum that vacuumed the sin away? Was it a rag with some cleaner? We have no idea how this worked because it's a transactional element of faith. We know the Holy Spirit flows through us, but we don't know how. We don't know. We don't see it. It's not like I say, Brother James, woo! I can see the Holy Spirit flowing in you today. James would say, what color is it? It's a bright purple. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know what it looks like. But I tell you what I can see is I can see the result of something. I can see faith that results in something. I can see my life changed because of Yeshua's blood on my life. I can see people healed because of the Holy Spirit flowing through us and the prayer of faith laying hands on the sick. I can see a marriage restored. I don't know how. I don't know what's happening in the mechanics of their brains, that transactional element of their brain and their heart. But what I can see is the fruit of that marriage come back together. You say, how how does this help me today? Because friends, when you pray and you don't see something happen right away, it's okay. We all pray for this war to be finished immediately, but we don't see everything. We don't have all the facts. We see partially in a mirror. We don't have all knowledge of the universe, and maybe somewhere in the stuff we don't see and understand, God's plan is unfolding perfectly the way he wants We should still pray into it. That's being faithful to pray into it. But you're not going to see the transactional elements. I prayed for many sick people who got healed. I've never seen the microbial organisms go into their body and eat the bad blood cells. I don't know how that works. But I do remember laying hands on people and them being immediately healed. I remember laying hands on the demonically possessed people and hearing a shout, and a shriek of that demon come out. I don't know how. I don't, I don't know whether their hands bound up. Was it behind their back? Was it a metal chain? Was it rope? I don't know. I wasn't there to see that, but I can tell you the fruit of it. 
I don't know how, you know, listen, I'm, I'm probably losing all your confidence today as your pastor. I don't know how a lot of stuff works. If I could just be honest with you. I don't know how the blood atonement actually corresponded. I don't know how the triune nature of God works. I, so many elements that we, we don't understand and we don't know. I don't know how a sacrifice of an animal in the Tanakh did anything for anybody. But it did. I just don't know how. But is it okay for me not to know how? Yes. It is okay for us not to know how. Because we can see the result of our faith. And that's what God is calling us to in this season. One thing we do know is that we're called to live in the realm of the supernatural and with infused power from the Holy Spirit. Remember the promise in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Don't forget right now, we're fighting battles in some of those places. So don't forget, we're called to be a witness in those places. Not with the words alone, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I noticed in uh, this week an, an interesting scripture, and it'll be the last verse of tonight. It was regarding how God works in the supernatural, unseen world to accomplish his will. And it comes across from Isaiah, it comes across like a parable, but it's like a, a Tanakh parable, right? In the Old Testament. Listen to this, this verse, these two verses. Isaiah 28, 28. Grain is crushed though one certainly does not thresh it forever. The wheel of one's wagon rolls over it, but his horses do not crush it. This also comes from the Lord who commands the armies, who gives supernatural guidance and imparts great wisdom. Just so you understand, it's the picture of a threshing floor and the big stone that crushes all of the wheat goes around in a circle. And there's a, a horse or a donkey or something that pulls it. The, the horse isn't the one doing the crushing, but he's, he's making things happen. Even if he's not seen, he's still making things happen. And so tonight I want to leave you with that encouragement that God is in control, that he is working on behalf of lots of people. And I want you to remember that God's covenant land is Israel. God's covenant people have a specific calling of the Jewish people. But we're not his only people. And let's be careful there. Because as we love and reach out and we pray and we unite, I just want us to, to remember that there are lots of God's children hurting tonight around the world. I mean, I remember in, 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 was it 2014, 2014, that we were negotiating between the civil war between Ethiopia and Eritrea, and we had both of them in our building. I remember even a year and a half ago where we had the Russian-Ukrainian thing, and we had to kind of navigate that, and we're still navigating that now here in Israel. And yes, we've got the war going on right now. We're going to continue to navigate that. But in every situation, there are people that are mourning. There are people who are brokenhearted. And the gospel of the Lord needs to go out to them with power from the Holy Spirit. Because they're all his children. And you may not understand how your prayer does that. That's okay that you don't understand. 
it works. Because we will see the fruit of it working as Yeshua takes over this situation. Amen? Please stand to your feet. Let me bless you with that prayer. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. This was not an easy word, Father, but we receive it anyway. Maybe it was a challenge to our spirit, but we receive it anyway. When we are tempted to focus too much on the seen world, we are forfeiting the supernatural. But when we embrace the priority of the unseen world, we are investing into the eternal. We are so much better in the supernatural world with power because that's how we were created to be. It is Satan who tempts us to look only with our eyes. And tonight, Father, we commit ourselves, this week ahead of us, we commit, even as we, we come and serve on Tuesday, and even as we join united in the city of prayer on Wednesday, we commit today as King of Kings family to not only see with our eyes, but to be seeing with our spirit, to invest in the unseen eternal, and to not be tricked by the devil anymore. Give us hearts of compassion, hearts of love, hearts of service tonight, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.